Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We'll be looking at verses 24 and 25. We'll be reading a little bit more than that. In the front of almost every church stands a table used for the Lord's Supper called by different things, different churches, but there it is. And on the front of many, many of those tables, we probably have to say hundreds, thousands of those tables, are engraved the words of Jesus, do this in remembrance of me. As we come to celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning, I want to reflect for a few moments on those familiar words of Jesus. We find them in the gospel accounts, where Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, but especially we find them in the words of institution in 1 Corinthians 11. So let me read that passage. It's verses 23 to 26, 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Twice in these few verses, he says, do this in remembrance of me. So this morning, I call you to ponder two obvious but very important things Jesus is saying in that statement. And kids, this will be the easiest note you ever take. First main point, remember. Remember. It's a terrible thing to lose your memory, you know. My father experienced that during the last years of his life. But it seems that the most things most deeply embedded in your soul remain the longest. So my father knew my mother even when he knew nobody else. And my father knew his Lord and he remembered how to pray even when he could no longer carry on a rational conversation at all. So lest we forget Jesus calls us to remember, to intentionally embed his truth in our heart of hearts, and to do so every time we come to this supper. Now, this call to remember has a long history with God's people. When God brought his people out of Egypt, he gave them the Passover feast as a way of remembering that deliverance. Every year, they went through a certain routine for seven days. Every year, they symbolically repeated the events of God's deliverance out of Egypt. And the purpose of it all was that they would never forget how God saved them. Like us, God called them to remember. And now the Lord has given us this recurring sacrament, which we do 
over and over again, every month, some churches every week, accompanied with the command, remember, do this remembering me. So what exactly are to remember? Well, we're to remember the events of Jesus' life, of course. Remember how the angels foretold his coming to Mary? Remember how the heavenly host announced his birth? We remember how he taught with such authority and clarity, speaking the very words of God straight to the heart of his hearers. We remember how he demonstrated his power over nature, but also over the powers of evil. We remember how he showed mercy, healing, and restoring the blind and the broken and the demon-bound and the helpless. We remember how he agonized in the garden as he submitted his will to the Father, something we find agonizing. And we remember how he suffered humiliation and pain and death, able to see beyond it all to a greater joy. Remember the life of Jesus. It's no It's no mystery why God gave us four accounts, four Gospels of the life of Jesus. We ought also to remember what he said about himself. Especially memorable are the great I am statements recorded by John. For example, he said, before Abraham was, Abraham lived 2,000 years before Jesus. Before Abraham was, I am. M, identifying himself as Yahweh, the Lord, the eternal God. He said, I am he. When the Samaritan woman was longing for the Messiah and saying, the Messiah is going to come, he says, I am he. He said in John 6, I am the bread of life. If you're hungry, come to me. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. He said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you will not walk in darkness anymore. He said, I am the gate to the sheepfold. Whoever enters by me will be saved. He said, I am the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, you will live even though you die. He said, I am the vine. You're the branches. If you remain in me, you'll bear fruit. Because without me, you can do nothing. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And when they came looking to arrest Jesus of Nazareth, he volunteered, I am he. And the soldiers drew back and fell on the ground. Remember Jesus, the great I am. We also ought to remember how he showed us the Father. He showed the Father's faithfulness to his promises. God does not forget. Jesus fulfilled them. 
He showed the Father's holiness by his own holy life. He showed the Father's love for the world, for he came in human flesh, giving himself for us. He showed the Father's tender compassion in the way he dealt with us, in the way he dealt with the most troublesome, ugly people. And he showed the Father's great saving plan as he presented himself as the Lamb of God to be sacrificed for our sins. Jesus was not overstating things when he said, if you've seen me, you have seen my Father. Remember. Oh, but most of all, here at the table, we remember his dying for us. We remember him sweating drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane as he faced the horrifying prospect of taking our sins upon himself. We remember his courage as he stood trial no less than four times all night long and again in the morning, all unjustly put on trial. We remember the brutality of his scourging, the insults of the mocking that he endured for our salvation. We remember that even as they hung him on the cross, he was still full of grace, forgiving those who crucified him. We remember his tenderness toward his mother, even as he suffered, dying on the cross. We remember his cry, I thirst. The one who brings living water, dying of thirst. Then as the earth shook and the sun turned dark, we remember his agonizing cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we know that it's because he bore our sins, that's why. But then we remember how with a loud voice he cried out, it is finished. The word is testelestai, paid in full. His saving work was complete. And he gave up his spirit. This morning we do more than just acknowledge Jesus. We remember more than we can fathom of the death of our Savior. Remember, remember, remember. Do this in remembrance of me, Jesus said. But then the Lord says more, which brings us to a second point. Do this. That's all. Do this. Nike made a fortune paraphrasing Jesus' command into just do it. In Nike's case, they know how easy it is in the face of our need to be more active to think about it, to talk about it, to go shopping for shoes, to intend to get on it someday. But what matters is that we just do it. And similarly, Jesus says, do this, do this. Jesus knew, knew that remembering can be just a mental thing, 
storing up facts in your brain. But that kind of memory of remembering is frankly not very effective. It's hard to maintain for our minds get overloaded with facts that we're not using. And facts in your brain are the first thing you forget. Remember cramming for exams in school? Did you ever study all night for an exam? And you pass the test? And how much of the material did you remember a week later? How much do you remember now? So in the chapel, we use Sunday school material designed for multiple intelligences. That's a fancy word to say that the material recognizes that kids don't just learn by reading or listening to words. Our children learn by, by drawing and singing and doing and acting things out. So Jesus says, do this. He gives us something tangible to do, a way to seal the memory in our psyche. He doesn't just give us a list of principles to memorize a set of flashcards or something. He gives us a token of himself, a piece of bread that says, this is my body, and a cup of juice that says, this is my blood. He doesn't just appeal to our minds to remember. He appeals to our senses, our taste, our touch, our sight, our smell, for those memories are established, in our, established by our senses, are the most profound memories we have. They are for me at least. I figured out it's 56 years this fall it was that I first met my wife. But I can still see the red gingham dress and I can still smell the perfume she wore. It's etched in my mind. Similarly, I remember the first time I ate the Lord's Supper as a child. Jesus' death on the cross for me was etched on my heart forever. And every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper, I see it happening again in our children. I see the little hands Take and hold the bread and the cup with a combination of holy reverence and wide-eyed anticipation, which, by the way, are pretty good, pretty good attitude for you to bring to the supper. And though they may understand a lot less about the sacrament than their parents, they take and eat the gospel of Jesus' death for them. And it's being etched indelibly on their hearts as it was on mine. Jesus shows he understands how humans learn and remember when he commands, do this, do this. This is typical of how God deals with us, is it not? Certainly he calls us to meditate on his word, to ponder its significance. But think how often he calls us to just do it. He doesn't tell us to ponder how we might manipulate our emotions into loving someone. He just says, husbands, give yourself for your wife. That's how you love her. He says, if your enemy's hungry, give him something to eat or drink. He says, if your neighbor's wounded and hurting, help him. That's how you show neighborly love. 
In fact, even as God calls us to love him, he doesn't just say, love me with all your heart and mind and soul. He says, love me with your strength. Don't just think about it. Don't just feel good about it. Do it. So exactly what does he call us to do? Take, eat. This is my body. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink from it. Jesus calls us to eat and drink these symbols of his body and blood. Why? What's the significance of eating and drinking? It certainly has been misunderstood through the ages. Early in the second century, the church was accused of cannibalism because of this language of eating Christ's flesh and drinking his blood. In fact, in AD 177, in Lyon, then the Roman capital of Gaul, 48 Christians died at the hands of a mob accusing them of cannibalism. And even today, these words sound strange to our ears. But you see, the Lord is calling us to something very profound. There are few things we do as intimate as eating. There we take food and drink and we eat it and it becomes part of us. So Jesus calls us to eat these symbols of his body and blood, promising that in so doing we participate in his death for us. We become partakers of his grace shown to us on the cross. Oh, it's not a matter of the physical cells of the bread and wine becoming our physical cells. It's a matter of receiving by faith what is signified in the supper and thus being transformed by our fellowship in Christ's suffering, by being united with Christ. That's the invitation extended to us historically in the Book of Common Prayers, for example. Take and eat this in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on him in your heart with faith and thanksgiving. The Heidelberg Catechism unpacks it more fully. Christ has commanded me and all believers to eat this bread, broken bread and drink this cup in remembrance of him. With this command come these promises. First, as surely as I see with my eyes the bread of the Lord broken for me and the cup shared with me, so surely was his body offered for me and broken for me and his blood poured out for me on the cross. And secondly, as surely as I received from the hand of him who serves and taste with my mouth the bread and cup of the Lord, given me a sure signs of Christ's body and blood. So surely he nourishes and refreshes my soul with eternal life, with his crucified body and poured out blood. What a joy is ours this morning in obedience to Jesus, to do this, remember, remember. Last Sunday evening, we had a wonderful Thanksgiving meal together. But way before last Sunday, 
In fact, way before the Pilgrim's Thanksgiving meal with the Indians, in fact, way before the colonies or the European nations were even known, way back in the second century, in 100 and something AD, this sacrament of bread and wine, which we call the Lord's Supper, came to be known as the Eucharist. From the Greek word, Eucharistia. Eucharistia. The word meaning thanksgiving. So with thankful hearts, we return again this morning to the table of the Lord. We come in response to his gracious invitation. We come to remember all he, has, all he is and has done. We come in faith that desires fellowship with him. We come even when our faith is weak, trusting Christ to work in us his renewing grace, which we can never conjure up. We come at Christ's command to do this in remembrance of me. And when we come, this is the Thanksgiving feast. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we celebrate in this very simple sacramental meal things so marvelous and so enormous that we cannot get our minds wrapped around them. So no wonder, Father, you told us to keep coming back again and again and again, and maybe by the time we see you face to face, we'll, we'll understand more. But we don't have to understand it all to come and remember what we know, what we've heard, and do what you said. And so, Father, I pray you would meet us here. May we not just go through a symbolic meal, thinking about it even, but may we know your presence with us. You promise that when we eat this, we participate in the grace that it symbolizes. May that be true this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.